Good morning. How are we doing? Good, great, awesome. Uh, so yeah, cats out of the bag. I got back from Israel, uh, and it was awesome. Uh, it was great, and I'm going to share a lot of that or some of it with you guys. Uh, people keep asking me about it. It's like, how is Israel? How is Israel? Uh, and it's hard to come up with like a sentence or a paragraph to be like, this is what happened. And so I was like, well, I'll just I'll teach on Sunday morning, and it'll cover all the bases. Uh, so I've got a couple of pictures I'm going to share with you guys. Uh, so we, uh, I don't know if you've ever crossed the Atlantic, but it takes a little while. And usually when you get across, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go to my hotel and I'm going to sleep. Uh, but we had other plans. We went on a hike. Uh, so we hiked, I don't know, like three or four miles uh, as the sun was setting in Tel Aviv. Uh, and so it was pretty spectacular. Uh, you can see the next one here. <clears throat> uh, then uh, we spent a couple days in the area called the Shafela. It's kind of like the coastal plains, uh, kind of like the, the Central Valley of California. Um, but then we hung out, and this is called a shepherd's cave. Uh, and believe it or not, this is probably closer to what Jesus was born in than some of the nativities that we see at Christmas time. Uh, so you can do that what you will. Uh, this is another cave. Uh, when you're in the desert, it's hot, and so anytime you can go inside and find a cave, uh, this is great. This particular cave uh, is in a dulum. So if uh, you know the story of David when he was hiding from Saul, uh, these are some of the cave system. It's pretty elaborate, and you can like crawl on your hands and knees through some of the caves. Uh, so that's where we were there. Uh, this is a replica, uh, or they found it, but it's a replica of a uh, temple or tabernacle. And so if you hear of places like the Holy of Holies and the temple where people sacrifice on the altar, uh, this is kind of like what one of those would have looked like. Uh, the Dead Sea. Uh, you can float. You cannot sink in this. Uh, in the distance is Jordan. And if you just kind of hung out for a while, eventually you just float across to Jordan. Uh, they might ask you some questions when you get there. Uh, but uh, salty water, and if you have any cuts, abrasions, scrapes, uh, it will find you, and it feels wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is Masada. Uh, King Herod built a number of palaces across Israel, uh, and this is one of them. And he's like, I'm just going to find the tallest mountain, and I'm going to build my palace on top of it. And so this is one of them. Uh, it's middle of the desert, and that's the Dead Sea uh, there in the background. Uh, this is at a place uh, pretty close to Masada, but also just on top of the mountain, just another, I thought it was a cool view across to the Dead Sea. Uh, this is a place called Mount Arbel. So we climbed, basically anytime we went somewhere, we looked for the highest point and just assumed that's what we're gonna cross. Uh, and so that's what we did. So you can see like a trail of people like shimmering down. And it might look scary, uh, but there are field trips with like little kids there too. So we had to wait for a while for them to like go down. Um, but yeah, so we made our way down the hill. Uh, on Sunday, we had church. We went to a first century synagogue. Uh, in the back where the steps are, you have to be over 50 to sit there because that's a place of honor. Uh, everybody else had to sit on the ground. Uh, one of the things that I learned there that I thought was kind of cool was before they uh, do a service, whoever's speaking that day, uh, they take the word of God, the Bible, the Torah, and they actually like dance through the crowd. And everybody's like jump, jumping up and dancing and like, touching the Bible. Uh, so I think maybe Jonathan can lead us in some music. Maybe next week we'll do that. <laughs> It'd be fun. Uh, so then uh, we went and saw some more Roman architecture as opposed to some of the Jewish stuff. And so here you have a lot bigger roads, you have a lot more ornate decorations. Uh, and this is kind of similar, more like an old version of what we live in now. We've got shops and theaters, spas, anything that you want, like a, a, an amenity, uh, this place has it. So we got to see some newer stuff too. And then uh, King Herod, basically he says, I'm going to find the coolest spot, I'm going to plant a palace there. So this is another one of his uh, palaces. This is right on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and if you're the king, it's good to be the king because you get to live there. So he did that. 
this is a boat, obviously. We're on the Sea of Galilee, so we got to cross over. And it was just kind of cool. It takes, it's about four miles across, and so uh, it takes a little bit of time to get there. But just knowing that, like, this is where, in the Bible, talks about Jesus walking on the water, the disciples fishing. Uh, and so it was just a really great time just to spend some time uh, crossing the sea where Jesus was. Uh, this is the Temple Mount. So all the stories in the New Testament where Jesus comes in, he's teaching at the Temple Courts, or he like breaks up the people that are selling stuff. Uh, all this stuff happens here. Now this uh, obviously wasn't there during Jesus' time. This is something that came later. Uh, but this is the area where the Temple happens in Jerusalem. Uh, this is, some of you may have heard of the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Um, this is... Uh, this is a place where Jewish people, since they can't go up onto the most holy place at the Temple Mount, uh, this for them is the closest that they can get to the most holy place. And so uh, they have a lot of stuff over here where they spend time praying. Uh, they'll write notes on cards and like stick it in the wall. Uh, but this wall is uh, really, really old. And you can kind of see how there's like different stones. And that's just uh, stones over the centuries as different people have like destroyed the temple or whatever and they built on top of it. And so you can see the history through the centuries just on that wall there which I thought was uh, really, really cool. And I think the last picture here, uh, this is our group, uh, and we're up on, uh, this is the Mount of Olives. You can see uh, the Dome of the Rock in the background uh, and the old city, Jerusalem. Um, so it was a really cool time. Uh, we spent 10 days there and kind of traveled all over the place. We were in the desert, we were in the coastal plains, we were in Jerusalem, we were on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and one of the great things about being in Israel is that it makes... Uh, it makes the Bible really come alive. The stories that you read and the stories that you hear, you begin to get a picture of what it looked like. Uh, and it's no longer uh, just a movie or something you made up in your head. You're like, man, I was there. Like, I was able to touch it. I was able to feel it. I was able to taste it. Um, so I just want to share a few of those lessons that I learned uh, while I was there. Uh, one of the first places that we went to was this place called the Maktesh, which is, uh, it's a desert. And so the Israelites, as they're wandering through the wilderness after they leave Egypt, uh, they're in a place similar to this. Uh, you can see uh, there's, that's like the only like branch uh, of like vegetation you're going to see there. Uh, there's no water. There's like no really end in sight. Uh, it's just this vast uh, wilderness. Uh, and I know like growing up when I heard the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, I thought of like, uh, like the jungle book. I thought there's like trees and wildlife and stuff, but this is it. Uh, there's no shade. There's no, uh, there's no water, um, and there's just lots and lots of walking. Uh, if you want to find a bed, good luck. You just kind of move some rocks out of the way. Uh, and so, like, when I remember reading about the Israelites and how much they complained after leaving Egypt, and like, but now you're free, right? And I was like, well, I have a better understanding, like, why they started grumbling so much. Because after spending four hours in, like, 110-degree heat, uh, you're like, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> so uh, that was the Maktesh. Uh, the next place we went to was this place called Qumran. Uh, if you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, this is where this took place. And so you can see kind of right there in the middle of the screen, uh, there's kind of like some pillars almost. Uh, and so in the late 40s, there is these shepherd boys that were kind of rolling around. And when you're a shepherd and you're watching sheep in the middle of the desert, you don't have a lot to do, so you throw rocks. Uh, we do that today too. You find kids and we're bored, we throw rocks. And so uh, they were throwing rocks around, and they threw them into one of those caves, and they heard this breaking sound. And they're like, what's that? So they go inside, and they find uh, all these old manuscripts of books like Isaiah and Psalms. And they're like, I bet these are worth some money. And so they ripped them up and like, sold them to the highest bidder. Uh, and eventually, people, we've been at museums and collectors, have been able to collect those together. And they found out that these are older than some of the oldest manuscripts that we had at that time. And it really was one of the biggest uh, biblical archaeological finds of the century. 
the first time that I got to go there, uh, I got chills when I saw it just because I had studied some of that in school and I was like, I never thought I'd actually get to see it. Uh, so naturally, we said, we're gonna go to the top. And so we did. Uh, I don't know if you can see, but like right in the middle of the screen is like people, uh, and that's us. And so we're like making our way up there. Uh, I forget how long it was, but uh, that was the hottest day. It was 115 degrees. Uh, and we finally get to the top, and we're like, great. Because on the way up, at least there was shade from the mountain. But then you get to the top, and there's like another couple miles. Uh, man, I was just walking up there, and thankfully we had water on our backs, but I was so, so thirsty as I was making my way up there. I felt like every five steps, I was taking like some more water. Uh, but there's our group, most of them at least, uh, and you can see uh, the Dead Sea back in the background. And it was cool just being up there because you could see uh, in the Dead Sea, and you can see Bethany beyond the Jordan where Jesus was baptized. And if you turn around the other way, you can see in the distance uh, Jerusalem. Um, and so it was just cool just getting this, this massive landscape of, of what Israel was. Although the state it's, or the country itself uh, is about the size of New Jersey, so it's not that big. Um, but uh, it was great being there. Uh, so we spent a few days in the desert, right? So it's hot. Um, the average temperature was about 110 degrees, uh, which I used to live in Texas and I thought like I got heat, uh, but then I moved to the Bay and I've been here about seven years. And so I was like, I've grown accustomed to 75 degrees and sunny. And so it was a bit of a, a wake up call for me. But after wandering around the desert in that heat for so many days, uh, we finally started to hear birds and you're like, that's a cool noise. Instead of like vultures that are like ominously like flying around you. Uh, but we hear like birds like chirping and like that's a good sign and then we keep walking and then we see like vegetation and plants and fruits and like that's also a good sign and then we get to this right here in the middle of the desert is this place called Ein Gedi and so there's this great waterfall and of course we're gonna jump in right and so all of us we jump in the water we go under the waterfall uh, and we got this amazing picture of uh, this idea of something called living water uh, and that's what I want to share most of our time uh, with you guys today with what is living water and what does that mean? So if you would uh, turn with your Bibles to John chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have one with you, there's some on the baskets in front of you on your chairs. And we're going to start in uh, verse 14. So John 7 verse 14. So it was not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Uh, and so here Jesus is going to the temple courts. So that picture with the big golden rock, it's called the Dome of the Rock, uh, that's the area that Jesus was heading to. Uh, the festival in question that he's talking about is uh, this thing called Sukkot. Um, they call it, you may have heard the festival of feasts or tabernacles, uh, booths, of shelters. Uh, what it is, is this big pilgrimage festival. And so people from all around Jerusalem and Israel, uh, and even other countries, they're coming into Jerusalem for this seven-day festival. Uh, and so what it's doing is it's celebrating God's presence with Israel from the time they went out of slavery to when they finally were able to enter the promised land. And so they're taking a whole week to celebrate this time of God providing for them and watching out for them and being with them during their time in the desert of the wilderness. And so it's over this uh, seven-day period that Jesus is walking into this, and he's teaching up in the temple courts. And so the word of Jesus had likely been spreading around all of Israel. And so people are like, well, there's this guy running around. He's having miracles, and he's uh, challenging some people's authority. 
And some people are saying he's the Messiah. I don't know, I haven't seen him yet. And so people are, are whispering about Jesus coming in. And at the very least, they've heard rumors, if anything. <clears throat> and so the Jewish authorities that are there during this time when thousands of people are gathered in Jerusalem, uh, they're not crazy about Jesus because he threatens their authority. And so they're keeping an eye out for him. And then the Roman authorities probably aren't too crazy about him showing up either because they're afraid of political upheaval and turmoil. And so the tensions are, are kind of high as all this stuff is going on. And Jesus is coming into the courts, the temple courts, and he's going to try and teach there. And so let's fast forward just a little bit to verse 25. And we're going to see a little bit what's going on. So in verse 25, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. And so even then, people are saying, like, I, I thought this Jesus guy, he's saying to be the Messiah, and the authorities want to arrest him or kill him, but even they're not doing anything right now. So there's, there's something going on. So in verse 28, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed him, and they said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And so there's a lot of confusion going on. You have some people that are like, yes, I believe in Jesus, and some people that don't, and some people that just aren't sure. And Jesus is going up, and he's saying all these things, and I think he's kind of stirring the pot. Uh, I think he's getting people riled up, and everybody's like, what, what is this Jesus guy all about? And I think everybody wants to know what he's going to say next. So let's fast forward a little bit more to verse 37. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so something kind of important is happening on this last and greatest day of the feast. So in Sukkot, on the last day, uh, the high priest will take a, a golden cup and he goes to this place called the Pool of Siloam, which is just inside the city walls. And he fills it with a cup. And they fill it with a cup of living water. And what they mean by that is water that's moving. Because if you were to go to like a pond or a place where water is just sitting still, it's going to get algae and bacteria. It is not good for life. You can't drink it because it's not, it's not good for you. So they call it dead water. But if, pool, if water is coming up from a spring or from a waterfall, that's living water because it's moving. And so just outside the city gates or the city walls is this place called the Gihon Spring. And this guy named Hezekiah a long time ago dug a tunnel all the way underground underneath the city gates so they could get water from a fresh living water place into the city at the Pool of Siloam. And so it's a very significant place. And so the high priest goes and he fills his cup with living water from the Pool of Siloam. And he makes his way all the way back to the temple courts, through the streets and everything. And in the middle of this, all the people are all around him. They're dancing, they're singing songs, they're blowing horns. And it's a, it's a big celebration. And they're chanting Psalms 113 through 118. Uh, and one of the things, as they finally get closer and closer to the temple courts, they finally get to Psalm 118.25, where they're saying, O Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. Anah Adonai, Hoshi Anah, Anah Adonai, Hoshi Anah. 
to get louder and louder and louder as they get close to it. And so it's at this moment that I believe is when Jesus steps in to the scene and what's going on. And so as he's about to, the priest, when he gets up to the altar, he's going to circle it seven times, which is like the number of completion. And then he's going to pour that cup of living water onto the altar as a time of remembrance, again, of what God had done during that time. And so it's at that moment when Jesus stands up and he says, if anybody is thirsty, if anybody needs that living water, come to me and drink. And he stands that and it says he said it in a loud voice. And so I can imagine if he's in this crowd where people are dancing, dancing and blowing horns and chanting and singing, he's got to yell really loud. And I can imagine that the entire place just shuts down. The dancing stops, the horns stop, everybody's silent. And the priest who's standing there with a cup above his head, he's probably like, uh, this is a little awkward now. And all the attention is now on Jesus. What's, what's he about? What's he doing? And what he's saying is the, the people there, they're crying out. They're saying, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And they're looking at this living water and they're saying, this is, this is a picture of what God is doing. He's giving us living water. He's giving us this. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty for that living water, come to me. I'm the one who's going to fulfill that. I am the one that is living water. A lot of people will say that Jesus never claimed to be God through scriptures. But when you look at the Bible and you read the text, like it's there. And this is one of the greatest pictures of that. Jesus is saying all the stuff that you're praising God for and the stuff that he did, the stuff that you're begging for now and the stuff that you're looking for, the Messiah that you're hoping for, Jesus says, I am that. Come to me and drink. When I was in the desert, what I think was great was it was a picture of what life is like sometimes, right? Like life sometimes gets really hard and we're thirsty for something, but we don't always know where to find the good water, where to find the living water. And sometimes we turn to other things and we fill ourselves with dead water. Uh, when I was at Qumran and we were hiking up, I said before how thirsty I was. And I, and I realized like, yeah, like I have a very physical thirst and I was taking water every couple steps. Uh, but as I got to the top, like that kind of disappeared for me. And I began to realize like how thirsty spiritually I was. And I began to think of this picture at Angeti when Jesus was saying that I am the living water and that you need to drink from me. And if, if you come to me, then you'll be filled. You'll have living water, rivers of living water flowing from you. And I began to realize like, man, like I'm missing that. Because I think for us, it's really easy for us just to go about our lives and miss God, to leave him out of the picture. We can get up and we can go to work, we can go to school, we can go home, work out, ride a bike, have dinner, watch a show, uh, get up the next day and do it all over again, right? And we can do that more and more and more, and eventually God is completely left out of the story. And we don't have him. And we begin to get thirsty because we don't have that living water refilling us and keeping us full. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we find ourselves in a desert just because we forgot to look up where we were going and like, oh, now we're in a desert and something's going on. Sometimes uh, deserts just hit us in the side of the face and we're blindsided by it. Uh, somebody we love passes away, uh, cancer pops up, uh, relationships fall and break apart. Uh, and it's something that we don't necessarily expect. But either way, like we find ourselves in a desert. Um, I think deserts look a lot different for anybody, wherever you are. Um, and so I don't know what it looks like when you're in a desert, but I know for me, I feel like I'm stuck. Uh, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall and everywhere I look is either a dead end or I'm facing an uphill battle. Um, and I, I don't know what to do 
or where to go. Uh, but one of the things I love about the fact that me beginning to go to Israel was now I have a picture of what it looks like to return to living water. Because when I'm in those moments, when I'm in the desert, when I look around and life is a bunch of rocks around me, I can think back to how tired my feet were and how hot I was and how my clothes were a different shade because of all the sweat. And I remember how good it felt to step into the living water at Ein Gedi. And I can remember how good that felt when I remember what it looks like to drink deeply from the living water that is Christ. And so when you're in a desert and you don't necessarily have a picture like that to come back to, what do you do? What do you do when you're in the deserts of life, when everything's around you is rocks and dust and dirt? I can tell you at least a couple things. We can turn to God, we can turn to his word, and we can turn to his people. That I believe that as you lean into the authentic Jesus, the one who says the greatest command is to love God and to love others, when you lean into him, I truly believe that he will begin to quench your thirst. And not just, I'm thirsty right now, but a spiritual thirst, a deep thirst for something more than what this world is. And I believe the best place to start is in his word. Because I grew up going to church. I, uh, I read the Bible, I heard all the Bible stories, and I thought I knew all the answers. Uh, but it wasn't until I really began to have a real thirst for the word of God uh, that things began to make sense and click with me. And then even more so when I spent time in Israel and the pictures became alive. It wasn't just a story that I read, but it was a real thing that I could taste and that I could see. And the scriptures became alive in a whole new way. And so I believe coming back to the word of God will begin to quench your thirst. And I think a very important one also is his people. And what that is, is community. And I think we need community sometimes to bring us back to living water because we don't know where to find it or we've lost our way to it. And community helps bring us back to that. Um, I've got one last picture. Uh, I don't know if you can see it that well, but this was uh, one of our hikes. Uh, it was really hot that day. And uh, we get to the top and this lady here, um, she was struggling through the first couple of days uh, and comes to find out that she was, uh, she just recently finished her battle with cancer. Uh, and so going into this trip, like you have to do some preparation, you have to do some training because you're hiking, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten miles a day. It's really hot. Uh, and she didn't have time to do all that kind of stuff. Um, but so we get to the top and uh, she's like, I got to stop. And she just kind of collapses on the ground and people immediately went to her, uh, put an umbrella over her. The guy in the white long sleeves, he's like carrying a banner with him the whole time. He just like unrolls that. The other guy's got her, her camel back and uh, is helping her drink some water. And so in that moment, it's a beautiful picture of community because uh, she was literally in a desert and needed help. And if she was by herself, like, I don't know if she would have died. I don't know if she would end up by herself. Uh, but she needed other people to help bring her back. And so these people were able to point her back to living water. And that's what community does for us. Community picks you up when you fall down. Community comes around you when you're in a tough spot. Community helps bring you back to the living water. When you're stuck and don't know where to find it or you've lost your way and you're in a desert, that's what community does. It brings you back to the living water. God puts, us, puts people around us so we don't have to go alone. We were not created to live in isolation, to be by ourselves and go through it. Whether life is good or life is a desert, we're not supposed to go through it alone. And that's what community does. And that's why God puts those things around us. And so if you're not in a desert now, like, praise God. Like, that's awesome. Uh, 
but everybody in here can say like, yeah, I've, I've been in a desert at some point in my life. And I can guarantee at some point in the future, like you're gonna go through another one. And so what are you gonna do when you're sitting in that desert and you don't know where to go and you're banging your head against the wall and you look around and there's nothing but rocks and dirt? I pray that we lean into God, we lean into his word, and we lean into the community that he's put around us. And I pray that we remember to drink deeply from the living water that is Jesus Christ, because he is that for us. And when we come to him, when we are thirsty, that we will have rivers of living water flowing from within us. Uh, so in a few minutes, uh, we're gonna have a chance to practice that. Um, we're going to uh, partake in communion together. Uh, and I think that's a great picture of like, we are, we are drinking from a cup and we're eating bread because we are thirsty and we are hungry for who the true Christ is. And I think this is a great picture of what living water is and how that fulfills us and quenches our spiritual thirst. So would you pray with me? Father God, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the living water um, that he says he is and that he truly is and that he quenches our thirst. Um, God, that we're in the deserts of life uh, and we don't know where to go and we don't know where to turn. God, you are there for us. Your presence is there for us. God, your word is there for us to point us back. And God, your people are around us to point us back to living water. Lord, I pray uh, that we can rest in you. And God, that we always remember and have a picture of what living water is and how to drink deeply uh, from you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.